well, it's just so weird to be preaching two people instead of a camera. I mean, I love you people out there in camera land, but uh, it, it is nice to be in front of people. We've had an eventful week in my household. We, uh, we, uh, well, Grayson turned five. He's very excited. If you go back there and ask him how old he is, he'll just go, five. He's very excited about that. Now, Lisa, she's not so excited. She turned 50. So I, I, maybe I shouldn't say that. So I take that back. I, I didn't say anything about her. Um, so it's been a little, uh, we, we've had a, a fun week uh, uh, in, uh, uh, this week at our house, and we were able to get away camping a little bit. Um, as we progress in the service, as we start looking forward to what the Lord has for us uh, coming back together, we're still going to watch the numbers um, in our area, uh, really the numbers of, of hospital beds and, and, and unfortunate deaths and so forth. So we'll, you know, we may have to go back online. I know some churches in Texas, have, they opened up and then they turned around and they had to close back up. Uh, because of uh, numbers going uh, a little crazy and so forth. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And also, as we come back, uh, our children are going to be in here with us. And, and we love our kids. Um, so if they get a little noisy like uh, Gr- Grayson, um, you know, like Grayson might, you know, if they get a little noisy or something or, or if we have a little young one in here, no big deal because we love our kids, right? We'd rather them be in church than hidden away somewhere. You know, we'd rather them uh, be in front of the TV half listening uh, for those that are at home than, than just uh, not getting the word at all and so forth. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. So why don't we get into the word? We're going to be in Galatians 4.21 this morning. And uh, uh, last time in Galatians... Before Christ came, we were talking about the, how the Jewish people were raised, and they were raised to feel like they were the, the people, God's people, that God was, uh, was blessed them, and that they were forever going to be uh, God's people, and it was very special to them. They had possessed an inherited uh, salvation because of their bloodline. I mean, uh, they, had, you know, they had to obey the Old Testament law, but, but being in the bloodline of Abraham gave them a leg up, a perceived advantage that they had been uh, holding on to. Those who had received Christ, uh, uh, were, were, who were Jewish, realized that, that, that there was a new covenant on the horizon. That the Old Testament was there, but, but it was you know, being built upon. A new covenant was coming, and most of the original Christians were from a Jewish background. And those who got it were just so blown away. I mean, they were just so, like, I mean, they got it. They understood it. They were excited. They were happy about it. They were full of the Holy Spirit, especially after Jesus rose from the dead. He spent 40 days with them explaining the Old Testament scriptures and how it related to him. And this was very special for many of them. So now they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they go out planning, start teaching, talking about Christ. And what do they start teaching? Well, the scriptures they had. What scriptures did they have? The Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament scriptures hadn't been, hadn't been written yet. So they spread the gospel to these non-Jewish people. And this was a conundrum for, for many of the Jews. This was a, they didn't quite understand it and so forth, because what do they do with them? Uh, they had, you know, the Jews had expected a, a Jewish Messiah, but the one that came wasn't 
quite the one that they had expected to show up. But he was much more than the, than the one that they had been looking for. But he, you know, he fulfilled the Old Testament. He fulfilled Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all those books that we love to spend so many, you know, so many nights falling asleep reading, right, as you hit Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I mean, how many, how many of you truly read through the whole book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Okay, a couple of people. Yeah, I mean, usually when we get there, if we're reading through the Bible or something, we kind of just go, okay, yeah, okay, let me flip, okay, yeah, I got a few words, okay, got the gist, okay, let me flip that, and we just kind of skim it, you know, but there's so much meat there when we start to understand a lot of those things, but these books, uh, the Jewish leaders held so dear back then and today, but Jesus went further, building upon that Old Testament foundation, he began this new covenant or a New Testament that was based on, on grace and mercy. Salvation offered to anyone and everyone who would accept it. And what a great thing that was. No matter the background, no matter the sinful state they were in, they didn't have to go clean themselves up to be able to come back, you know, come to God. Uh, you didn't have to become a Jew. You didn't have to clean up your act. You know, all these Jewish things, you don't have to do all of those. The idea was to be able to come to Christ no matter what their past was. And praise the Lord, because some of us have a past. Some of us go, man, I, I grew up in the church and, and the Lord, you know, came to the Lord, you know, in an early age, and that is wonderful. You missed a lot of, a lot of heartache in your life. But others of us have gone through just, just hard things in life, and God's sitting there going, I can solve that. I can give you hope. I can be your Savior. Come to me. So as we've been talking about the last few weeks, there were these unhealthy Jewish Christian followers that were like a vocal minority causing strife within the church, causing problems within the church. Um, you know, they were the agitators, the self-appointed, uh, they, they kind of self-appointed themselves to, to stir up trouble whenever, uh, you know, wherever they found a sweet local church. You know, all these people worshiping God together. If they could just join a, a grace-filled, multi-ethnic group that Paul, you know, like the Galatians, you know, where men and women sit next to each other and in the service and learn slaves and owners, you know, now we're not talking about American slavery, talking about slavery back then and so forth. Owners and slaves were there all worshiping Jesus together. Saints and sinners alike, all sitting there. All enjoying the benefits of a Christ-led, Holy Spirit-filled, infused church family. The problem was these agitators would come into that setting and cause all sorts of problems, trying to convince the, the church of all these things that they needed to do that they didn't have to do, that weren't of God. These people would come in and say, wow, you, you're right. I thought it was too good to be true. I mean, look at my past and look, you know, they, they said that God would save me, yet now I knew it was too good to be true. There's some things that I need to do before I can be saved, before God is there for me. You know, after everything I pulled, I knew I couldn't get away with it. Good thing you guys are here to tell me the direction I should go. These guys were replacing Jesus, who had already bought and paid for your sin and my sin with this worldly view of religion that was not good. 
Now, if you ask them, the agitators would say, and, you know, and they would think of themselves as the good guys, saving people for, for God. So literally it took really educated people like Paul who understood the Old Testament to come against them in a sense to outquote them. They would bring up this scripture and Paul would say, okay, I see where you're coming from, but have you thought about this scripture? And he would go on to explain it, much like Christ did to many of the Jewish leaders. And ultimately, Paul would outgrace them, which was a phenomenal thing. In fact, all the apostles did this. Peter, James, John, you know, all, all went right at these religious people. These people who would come in and make all these extra rules. And, uh, you know, the know-it-alls that were, you know, ethically, you know, ethnically prejudiced and spiritually prejudiced against others and, and so forth. So in this letter, Paul uses the same Old Testament text that they would bring up about Abraham and so forth, and about different things that would have to uh, happen. But he understood the Bible so much better. Paul was really good at explaining the Scriptures. Really good at it. So they always waited, it seemed like, until Paul left town to be able to show up and step in and start correcting the church. Imagine how that, you know, how that happens. You know? They just always slide right in. Now, the common uh, Jewish person back then, they knew the Old Testament, so they didn't have to retell all the stories to make their point. Uh, for us, we don't quite know the scriptures as well, so sometimes we have to have it explained uh, to us and, and so forth, so, so we need to touch up on some things along the way. Now, as I go through this today, uh, you will need to stay focused or I'm going to totally lose you, and some of you are going, yeah, that, that's every week, Alan, I, you know... I get that. But if you don't understand the latter half of chapter 4, then you'll be completely lost in chapter 5 because he's building on it. In chapter 4, and um, Lisa, I think my... There, live TV, you got to love it. Let me restart it and see if I can get it going again. Okay, um, so go to the first slide for me, Lisa, if you don't mind. But in chapter 4, verse 21, it says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, you are not aware of what the law says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. These things were being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is the, the, you know, from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26, but the, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman. How many women that are barren are glad, you know, if they really want a child? But he said, be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son, of, the son born of the power of the Spirit. 
It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Verse 31, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now everybody understood that, right? We can just close up the scripture, go home, you're, praise the Lord, Alan's done short, you know, another short sermon, we're done, right? This is why I get paid the big bucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> In verse 21, Paul asks a, a simple question. Basically, he says, have you read the Word of God? Have you read the Old Testament with any sort of understanding? He's going, you've read it, but I don't think you get it. Because you seem completely ignorant of everything that it means. They had religion keeping all these rules. And he was saying, why would you purposely stay in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and not live in the New Covenant? Why would you choose keeping all these religious rules over a Messiah who brought, you know, brought a, a, a desire to, to live within only two rules? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul asked, why are you choosing to stay in the wilderness? Why would you choose manna and water when the promised land and all this wonderful food is just right there to go and get? Why would you stay at Sinai when Calvary is right there? The empty cross is right there. The empty tomb is right there. Why would you be, you know, why would any follower of Christ? Once they had Jesus as a friend and a redeemer and recognized that, why would they turn to Moody O. Moses? Why would they turn back to that? Who in the right mind would only be satisfied with that, with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Who would be satisfied with that when you could also have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and, and Romans, and Philippians, and 1 John, and, and that's about all I can remember at this point. But, but, you know, when you could have all that because they were lived out through Christ, yet we're stuck on the rules. Paul says, now, Mount Sinai was awesome. I mean, God appears. I mean, 4th of July is here. We're fixing our fireworks. But basically, he says, God appears and fireworks happens on the mountain. I mean, you know, smoke and fire and all this stuff happens. It really cool stuff. He, per, you know, he personally handed the rules to Moses. I mean, to be there. Wow. I mean, I've, you know, I, I, I've seen lava and stuff, you know, flowing. I got phenomenal pictures from 100 yards off of lava just slowly dripping into the ocean when, when you know, it was going off in Hawaii, you know, in 2018, I think it was, or, or 19, I forget when. But anyway, I wanted to go. I'm like, I want to hop on a plane. You know, they thought the whole island was covered in live lava. Um, well, the whole island is covered in dried lava, but only one little section was actually having lava flow. But, I mean, that would have been phenomenal to see. I can imagine God's presence on top of a mountain, how, how phenomenal that would be compared. I mean, I've seen some wonderful things under the ocean. Some of the fish that you see, some of the, the nature you see. You go to Yosemite, I mean, you guys have all seen wonderful things. Imagine seeing God's presence on the mountaintop. I mean, that was great. 
But not, God never intended them to stay in that area. He never thought that that would be their permanent home. God never intended them to, to stay in the wilderness where, where God's, you know, he had a temporary shelter, you know, until the fullness of Christ was to come. And that's what Jesus did. He came. Jesus reaches to a higher peak than Moses climbed because Jesus was the answer to everything Moses had written down. Calvary's at a higher peak. Jesus just doesn't go there and plant a flag. He plants a cross there, and then he, the price is paid on the mountain through his blood. We don't get the chance to earn God's approval. We don't get that chance. God gives it freely. We don't have to earn it. So we see Paul being a, a pit bull here. We see Paul just going after, I mean, a pit bull, when he, when he latches on, it's like a police dog, you know, when a police dog latches on, that dog's not let go until the, the, the officer says, let go. You know, pit bull's kind of the same way, when they latch on, you know, and that's Paul here. Paul is being, a, you know, being that toward, toward those people, and he, he's going after anyone who minimizes what Christ offers Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul's going right at the religious church people. The church ladies, as you know, some people used to say. Now, it can be men too, don't get me wrong, okay. But male, female, Catholic, Protestant, anyone who quotes chapter and verse or brings up any church tradition in order to shame us or to keep you know, themselves... Um, you know, in, in religious bondage, Paul takes on anyone and everyone who, who takes those religious tactics because they're based on fear. And Christ isn't based on fear. Christ is based on freedom. That's a religion made on rules, Paul was saying to them. You know, we study the Bible and we study Paul's writings not just so we can get to the end of the book. You know, some people are like, man, Alan, sometimes you only cover a couple of verses, you know. Sometimes even a word, you know. One word, a whole sermon. Come on, we got to get to the end of this. And it's like our purpose is not just to get to the end of the book, to move on to another book. Our purpose is to, 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 to study because the Bible is interesting. The Bible has things to teach us about God and from God. And, you know, we love, we love history. We love the Bible. We do it because truth is there. The truth that we're seeking and we're talking about is in the Word of God. It's life-giving. That's why we study the Bible. And there are those who are religious that don't even have the life. I'm amazed at how many people today prefer religion by the rules. I mean, I kind of understand them. I kind of I get it. The rules are clean. The rules are easy. Just tell me what you want me to do. I don't need ambiguity. I don't need any, you know, just black and white. I, I've even, you know, uh, we, our son goes to Sundell out here, and, and um, sometimes you get there and, uh, you know, he transfers into a different school. We're in a different district, and uh, he, he transfers in, and uh, and sometimes you're expected to know certain things. And you're just like, no, 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 no. I, I don't 
any of that. I, I've never been around the school. I don't know the traditions. I don't know the expectations. Just tell me what you need, and I'll get it to you. Black and white, just follow the rules. I, I understand that. But when it comes to, you know, comes to God, I mean, the rules are clean and, and it's not messy like grace. Grace is messy, isn't it? Rules are much simpler. It's not abstract like modern art. It's paint by number. How many of you like paint by number? Okay, let me rephrase this. How many of kids liked paint by number, Okay. Oh, there we go. A few more hands coming up. You know, you, you like that because you know what color goes in what slot. Now, how many like modern impressionist art and stuff like that? Yeah, I see a couple of hands go up. Not, not quite as many. You know, it's a little messier. Paint by number is easier. Oh, man. It's a list that anyone can learn. But the problem is each denomination. You have a list of things that you can do and you can't do. You have all these issues. You have the invisible rules, and then you have the invisible rules. Clear-cut decisions. Keep the rules or there's the door. And then if you choose to stay, we'll just gossip about you. You can choose to stay, but we'll talk about it, you know. Or keep those rules, or go hang out with those wrong Christians. You know those wrong Christians. They're meeting in other churches today, right? Those wrong Christians. That's how people, hey, people portray these things. And, and that is totally wrong. That totally goes against God. Don't keep our rules. And if you stay here and say stuff like that, you know, you, you'll get people, you know, coming, growing up in the South, you get, honey, bless your heart. You just don't get it yet. You can't teach Sunday school yet. I know you've been here five years, but, but you're not just, you're, you're quite, you're, you're not there yet. You know? I used to cringe and laugh at the same time when Dana Carvey used to do his church lady impression. Because I've known a few church ladies. Well, okay, I know my impression's not as good, but at least can I get an amen or a laugh or something out of you, you know? These religion by the rules people are always nearby. It's almost like a creepy way, you know? They're always right there. And, and we have to be careful. They're always, you know, uh, determining who is in and who is out and who is in trouble and who's not in trouble. And many of them are recovering Pharisees. Now, many of us have left the church because of the Pharisees in the church. And this is not good. You know, there's two common... Emotions for the religious Pharisee type. Either smug or shaming people. And it's all based on your behavior. The smug get the power and everyone else just keeps trying harder. But mercy and grace, that's a lot harder to live by because you waste a lot of mercy and grace on repeat offenders. You know, we like the California three strikes law. You know, three strikes, done, get them out of here. What if we implemented that in the church? We'd have an empty church. See you later, I got to go. You know, I mean, we'd all, you know, I mean, wow. How much grace is in heaven that a person gets that much grace in their lives? 
See, mercy needs to be at the core of everything we do so we don't become that religious smug person because it can be frustrating time and time again. We go, Lord, how can you give them that much grace? And God's going, well, that's because I give you that much grace, Alan. We're like, ouch. You know, we would become a community of slaves where no one is free if we followed these type of rules or if we at least appear to be following the rules. Now, in the very next chapter, Paul is not promoting a, a community where everybody just is free and sin and just go and don't worry about any rules whatsoever. Paul's not saying that. Because Paul in chapter 5 is going to get very, very specific about certain things. He's going to specifically tell us that, that, that we need to behave ourselves but we need to behave ourselves for the right reason, not the wrong reason, not the list reason. He, he has spent four chapters before getting to chapter 5 exposing all the wrong reasons why people are, you know, are religious and start following certain rules. And then he's going to go, oh, wait a second. Today, he's talking about how churches create Ishmael's instead of Isaac's. See, bad religion, it helps God out. I was talking with somebody, uh, we're trying to figure out a couple things, and I was talking to somebody this last week, we went to lunch with him, and I, I, he goes, well, what's your plan? And I go, well, I, I don't really have one, because every time I try to make a plan and help God out, I usually mess it up. I, it usually turns, <laughs> yeah, you understand what I'm saying. You're just like going, oh, man, you know? So I'm like, I'm just letting the Lord kind of, Work this one out. He knows, he knows the, the issue. He knows what needs to happen here. But, but, but helping God out <clears throat> a lot of times will produce a lot of Ishmael's. Just like with Isaac and Ishmael. When religion shortcuts God and shortcuts what God is going to do and what God is planning on doing, the next generation suffers. One of the reasons why the next generation is so turned off of organized religion is because of the issues that we're talking about right here. Makes a lot of hypocrites in the church. The Apostle Paul, the, the millennials would have loved him. You know, our, our plans need to, to line up with what God is doing. God doesn't need to line up with what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're, we're such an instant society. I mean, we sit in front of the microwave going, okay, come on. Come on, come on, come on. 30 seconds should not take that long, you know. Well, that's our society here. When, when you know, <laughs> well, let me go on to this, what I, uh, my mind. I'll get off on tangents if I don't watch it here. So now let's go back to the story of Ishmael and Isaac because it's very important. I'm going to quickly review it. It's in Genesis 12. And Sarah is 75 years of age, and God tells them that they will have a child. And now I'm going to be skipping a lot of chapters to see a couple of people flipping their Bible. You're, you might not get there in time, because um, I'm going to kind of skip. But 10 years later, Abraham and Sarah have how many children? Zero. God promised them children. 10 years later, zero children. So Sarah takes it into her own hands, literally giving Hagar... Hey, honey, you want another wife? Let's do this. We need to get a child. 
And he, you know, bad idea, bad idea. Husbands, wives, never give your husband or wife away, okay? It just doesn't work out well. But, you know, so she is a surrogate mother, and Sarah is considered mom through the traditions and so forth. But, but you know, eventually Hagar, you know, kind of cops an attitude with, with Sarah. You know, at least I have a child, you know. At least I can produce a, you know, a, a, a relative here. I can produce, a, you know, generations, and you can't. So Sarah, what does she do? She gets revenge on, on her by getting her thrown out of the house. And Abraham goes along with that plan, too. It's like, for as much faith as Abraham had, ever so often he would really dig himself a hole. And he did at this point. God promises to, to work all this out, and he does. Now, fast forward. Abraham and Sarah, or at least Abraham's at the age of 99, Sarah's a little younger. But when God meets him and reaffirms his extremely slow-moving plan. <laughs> I still got my plan going. Well, God, I mean, we're, we're, we're on a timetable here. I mean, have you looked at me lately? For Abraham and Sarah to have countless descendants. I mean, they, they, how many descendants do they have at this point? One, and it's not even the one that's promised. It's a child by another woman. See, God also makes it clear, and and Abraham kind of protests against this, that Ishmael cannot become the son of the promise because he was born of the flesh. Ishmael was a product of two impatient people trying to help God out. That never works out well. Trying to, to keep you know, God's promises, uh, you know, going and so forth. So God is trying to convince them that they will have a son at 99 years of age. This is astounding. I mean, I have so many questions here. And we've gone through Genesis and so forth. But, but you know, you're just like, why, God? Why? Why would you do this, you know? And we've talked about many of those questions. But, but why, why wouldn't God find somebody else? I mean, I'm almost 50, and I have a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old at home, and they wear me out. I could not imagine having another baby at this point. You know, our, our second child was, well, you know, a young lady approached us, and many of you know this, and said, would you like to adopt? And, and, and we prayed about it, and, and it was the Lord's hand was on that, and we did that. And, and since then, we've actually had somebody else come to us and said, would you like to adopt? And my wife's answer just, no, no, we're done. I can't go through another two years of sleepless night. You know, as you get older, you know, I mean, some of my friends have, have kids that are 25 to 28 to 30 years old. And I got a five-year-old at home and a nine-year-old. I mean, you know. So here they have Isaac, Abraham and Sarah. They have Isaac. He becomes the father of many Jewish people. And Ishmael becomes the father of many uh, Arabians. And, and the Bible teaches us that Paul brings this story up because he learns the agitators had just used this to the Galatians to make a point. And Paul's like, well, let's talk about that. I can write uh, about that. I can talk about that. It's like Paul takes their teaching point by point and refutes it. Then Paul's going to go all allegorical on them, and, and, and which really kind of confuses them. If the Galatians aren't confused, we probably will be. So an allegory, what's an allegory? 
It's a short story or, or word picture that is not to be interpreted literally. But it's intended to, instead of kind of as a, a poetic reveal of a, a new ethical or moral meaning, okay? So that's the idea of what an allegory is. And if any English teachers are out there and I mess that up, I'm sorry, correct me later, you know? But I warn you, as you read the second part of chapter 4, you're reading an allegory. But it's based on a factual story. Paul is going to mess up the details of the story to a point where, you know, you're almost going to go, want to just kind of skip over it and go straight to chapter 5. But we shouldn't do that because it's just not about getting to the other chapters we said. Paul's doing this for a reason. He's wanting to anger his opponents. He's wanting to kind of rile them up and draw them out to further debate. But Paul, you know, we would say, but Paul, if you don't have something good to say, you know what I'm saying? We all know what, how that ends. Don't say it at all. I mean, we're just like rolling our eyes as mom said that. Alan, if you don't have something good to say, don't say it at all. And you're just like, eh, okay, mom. And that's what, you know, that's what we would say to Paul. But Paul's like trying to draw them out. The sons of Isaac are going to say no, that Sarah and Isaac are the cowboys and all, and, and, and are the cowboys and, you know, the Indians are always the other. Paul is, Paul is going to say, all right, but this movie is all messed up. So stay with me on this, okay? Paul's first point is this. What Sarah and Abe did was created an Ishmael. In their impatient minds, and impatient ways, he wasn't the baby that was promised. But God took care of Ishmael. God took care of Hagar. But that is not the point. He was born out of impatience and human effort. Sarah said, this is how it's done in our world. We're going to use surrogacy to get this done. And nine months later, we get a baby and we're going to get this out of the way because I'm getting older. I've waited 10 years now. So that is what happened. Everyone in the story messed up. They're not wise enough to wait at all. This is one of the biggest problems that we have in our Christian walk. The biggest regrets that we have in our life are attached to not waiting for God's will. I deserve it. I need it. I'm going to get it right now. Now, we may not say those words out loud, but that is what's going on in our head. What the wise do is wait for God, you know, whatever God has promised. What, what it's going to be birthed out of us that comes from God. When our bodies are, are healed enough to be able to birth it. So Sarah and Abraham were not, were not ready. And the world said, you are past that point uh, of having children. But God's timing was completely different for these two. And, and God was working out some things. And God needed that time to work out the things, to, to get all the pieces in the right place. And we're also wise enough to wait for what God has promised for our friends. Because sometimes we start doing stuff like this. Yeah, you deserve it. You're right, you need to do this or you need to do that. And we're not patient enough for our friends. And we push them in a direction. But we need to mold them into, you know, oftentimes we're like, we need to mold them into good little Christians. 
through actions and instead of a heart. Our husbands, you know, we, we push people into getting married. We're wise to wait for Isaac to be born. You don't want an Ishmael marriage. How many people want to go, yeah, I want to get married and I want to struggle? Any hands? Anybody want to struggle in marriage? No. None of us want to do that. So it's wise enough to wait for the Lord on these things. But they didn't wait. So you have the, the son of the flesh, Ishmael, and the son of the spirit, Isaac. Paul brings a story forward and he flips the two and compares the son of the flesh and the son of the slave to those who, who wish to birth religious things. We've gone from spiritual rule instead of waiting on spirit-led behaviors. Bad religions always birth Ishmael. And even though bad religions, you know, bad religious people Paul is, is talking about here are the sons of Isaac in that day. So he kind of flips a story. The Christian church, after our history, we cannot say, oh, those crazy Jews. We cannot look back at the Jews and go, well, they really messed it up with Christ, didn't they? Because, I mean, look at the church. Look at what the church has done over the years. How we've misused the Bible to, to, uh, you know, uh, to go against what God really wants and so forth. I mean, we see that strife today in our world and, and what's going on out there. The Christian church, we need to step up and do what's right. To teach the Word of God in the right way. Jesus spoke about logs and specks and stuff, didn't he? So the church has a lot of introspection to do before we start pointing out things to other people. The church over the last 2,000 years has birthed many Ishmaels. Now Paul's other point is this. The so-called sons of Isaacs, in other words, the Jews, have enslaved themselves to the very religion that their father Abraham and the faith that they were not only supposed to, it was supposed to set them free, but instead they became bondage. They, they, they became slaves to that instead of it freeing them up. What's ironic is the sons of Ishmael's, the Gentiles, were the ones that were, were coming to Galatia, coming to God and going, now I have freedom. So you see how it kind of flipped there. That the sons of Isaac had actually lost and the freedom that Abraham and Sarah, you know, were supposed to, to have to, to believe God and, and let it be, you know, credited to, the, to them as righteousness. But the Jews, they ended up dropping the ball. Now, God's grace is awesome. Because Abraham and Sarah were, are still held up as role models by Jews and Arabs and, and Christians, as heroes. I don't want to disrespect that. I don't want to say, you know, Abraham was a low life, he should have, da da da. You know, I, I, no, they, we should held, hold them up. But in this case, with Ishmael, they blew it, they blew it completely. So Paul writes to the Galatians in, the, you know, in my allegory about birthing things through fleshy procedures and methods. And this is the point that he was really trying to make here. You're not waiting on God and you're birthing procedures. You're birthing religious methods 
earthly ways of doing things within the church. Watch out for those uber-religious people, the hypersensitive, uh, you know, who, who intimidate you, and, it's, and they seem to enjoy it for some reason. Sometimes the ones who know the Scripture who should be leading everyone toward, towards grace and mercy and freedom through Jesus Christ, <laughs> they're doing the exact opposite sometimes. And it's unfortunate. And it's to the, to the detriment of God's kingdom. We need to identify them. We need to warn others. We need to go and, and confront them with grace, of course. But don't expect them to immediately change. Oftentimes, it's a shock to them. It's a shock that, that they're the problem. How many of us have ever been confronted and we're just like, what? I don't know. You're crazy. And then later on, we start thinking about it. And we're like, okay, maybe. And then eventually get to the point of, okay, you're right. Now, do we actually go and say we're right? Or, or go to them and say you were right about me? No, we usually keep it to ourselves. But most legalistic Christians will be offended by this sermon. And they'll be, so, so Alan, are you saying the strict religious life that I live, where I don't do these things, you know, all these things I really want to do, can be worse than them? And I'm saying, take it to the New Testament. Take it to Christ. Take it to God. See what He has to say about it. I will tell you this. Depending on, on a life of, or depending on a life of, of rule-keeping instead of the life of spirit-following is fleshly, not really of God. Rules-based religion just minimizes Christ's sacrifice all over the place, right and left, upside down, everything. Religions, you know, rules-based religion lies to us, telling us that we can make our own way to Jesus which goes against the scriptures. They say, we have Jesus, but it's Jesus plus, And they add on all these different things. We need to be adding on to the word of God. We need to be careful about adding on to the grace and the mercy and the desires that God has. The rules become the God of the rules-based people. What is crazy is they feel like they're, they're the most spiritual person that we know. If you're the most spiritual person you know, I might be preaching to you right now. Ouch. Are you a Pharisee? I don't know. Ask God. God may say no. God may say, in this area of your life, absolutely. God may say, in every hour, in every area of your life, absolutely. But we have to ask God that question. We have to ask, are we living by grace or are we living by the rules? Because grace is messy. <laughs> grace is totally messy. That means we have to love people we don't want to love. Have you ever forgiven somebody that you didn't want to forgive? I mean, it's like when your parents told you apologize and they, they kind of drug you kicking and screaming over to the person to apologize. That's how God is when it comes to grace with us. God's like, you need to give grace to them. And he's just like dragging me along going, okay, you're going to give grace, right? You're going to get, and I'm just fighting them tooth and nail all the way down the hall, you know? 
Are we living through, through grace or not? Do you give grace to other people or do you give the rule book? See, Paul wants us to take the road less traveled when it comes to religion and give that grace. And it's messy. It's a more difficult road. But this is where he's headed in chapter 5. And as I finish up today, there's several, several verses I just want to throw out there. As Paul's just kind of been beating them over the head for four chapters. Beating them over the head. You're allowing this to happen in the church. You're allowing that to happen in the church. Stop this. This is wrong. And he's just been beating them up. And then he says in chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. Then in verse 5, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. In verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see how different than rules-based that is? Well, I have my rules that i got to avoid these things so I don't sin. And God's going, you don't have to avoid those things. You just need to walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, then you're going to naturally avoid those things. Instead of it being a checklist. Oh, I... No, okay, I didn't do that today, check. And God's going, no, well, did you do this? Did you live in my grace? Did you live in my mercy? Did you live in my, my faith? And then you check those out, and then you realize, oh, well, I didn't do those things because I'm living over here. This is how we're going to stop sinning so much. By walking in the Spirit, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. Well, why don't we finish today? Let me pray, and we will be done. So let's pray. Lord, there's so many things here for, for Paul to point out. And I pray that we start looking at our own lives, that we're, we, we be introspective, uh, that we start uh, looking at our own church and deciding what are the things that we do that are not of you. Guide us, Lord. Put the light to our feet. Shine the path that we should go on. And let it be of you. Help us live in that hope that we have, that, that you, have, you have secured ourselves a, a place in heaven. That we don't have to go anywhere else. That we can live in your spirit, through your faith, through your grace, and your mercy. And realize how much you've given us. That, that you, you going to, the, to Calvary, the cross, actually saved me. So therefore, I owe other people a debt of love. And that love is you, Lord. That that would exude out of me when I'm pressed. That that would slosh out of me when I, I kind of get knocked over. Instead of the things of this world. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he never turn from you. And may you always look to him for his grace, for his mercy for his desires. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week, those that are here. And for you online, thank you.